Hey there. I know you've been waiting for a show about the First Amendment on Legal Talk Network, and it's here right now. It's called Make No Law. For me, the only thing better than giving Tom Brady a back rub is the First Amendment. Here's a quick trailer about the show. News and pop culture are full of controversies about free speech and the First Amendment. We hear terms like hate speech and heckler's veto in a barrage of coverage about campuses, protests, and even wedding cakes. But what does it all mean, and how did we get here? That's exactly what my new show, Make No Law, the First Amendment podcast from Hopat.com, will explore. I'm Ken White, and I invite you to tune in every month for the history, stories, and personalities behind the right to free speech and the most important Supreme Court cases establishing it. You can find Make No Law on LegalTalkNetwork.com, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. Um, If you were looking for a Super Bowl 52 recap, actually, I can't even go there. It's still too raw. If, however, you're a returning listener to the show, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, I hope you will become a long-time listener. And if you're Donald Duck, I hope you're wearing safari pants or any pants, really. As always, I'm your host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I am the founder and CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting and technology services for law firms. Check us out at redcavelegal.com, that's R-E-D-C-A-V-E-L-E-G-A-L.com to learn more. I've also expanded my podcasting empire, and you can listen to my other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. So rate us and comment only if you like us. But here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about lawyers' undying love of print. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. AnswerOne is the leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-ONE or visiting them online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer1.com. FirmCentral cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With FirmCentral, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. Scorpion delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. So today's guest is Ed Walters, and he is a Legal Talk Network slash Legal Toolkit regular. Ed is the CEO and co-founder of Fastcase, an online legal research software company based in Washington, D.C. 
Under Ed's leadership, FastCase has grown into one of the world's largest legal publishers, currently serving more than 800,000 subscribers from around the world. Before founding FastCase, Ed worked at Covington and Burlink in Washington, D.C. and Brussels, where he advised clients such as Microsoft, Merck, SmithKline, the National Football League, and the National Hockey League. And I think Brussels is a suburb outside of D.C., if I'm yes. correct. <laughs> Ed's practice focused on corporate advisory work for software companies and sports leagues and intellectual property litigation. Ed worked in the White House from 1991 to 1993. I believe that was pre-Trump. Um, first in the Office of Media <laughs> Affairs and then the Office of Presidential Speech Writing. Ed graduated from Georgetown University and the University of Chicago Law School, where he was an editor of the University of Chicago Law Review. And he clerked for the Honorable Emilio M. Garcia on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. He's licensed to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth and Fifth Circuits. He serves on the boards of Pro Bono Net, PublicResource.org, Friends of Telecom Without Borders, and Salsa Labs. He teaches Law of Robots, a class about the frontiers of law and technology at Georgetown University Law Center. And now, Meet the man with that glowing resume. Welcome back to the show, Ed. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. After oh, that introduction, I, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> I got tired of reading after a while. You've done a lot of stuff. I'm impressed. <laughs> it's getting kind of like, tiresome. <laughs> this is delightful, but when will it end? <laughs> so I think we're going to have an interesting conversation today about paper, which is unusual because we're on a podcast and you run this gigantic internet legal research database. I think this is going to be fun. It's all of the media coming together in one place. <laughs> That's right. It's like a media smorgasbord. Uh, <laughs> now, this is funny, too, because you teach this class on robot law at Georgetown about like how all the robot overlords are going to come over and take everybody's jobs. And yet you still have this appreciation for printed material, printed media. So, I mean, tell me why you still love print and the printed word. Well, I love books. I'm a huge bibliophile. I'm in love with the printed word, and I always have been. And it's great, in a sense, to be involved with FastCase and with digital publishing from a preservation perspective. Books keep getting burned in our history. Libraries catch on fire. Political winds require the burning of books. I mean, you know, mm. books are wonderful, but they also are ephemeral. They have shelf life, literally. And so it's great at FastCase to ensure that the law, as it's recorded in our books, will live on forever. You know, I think in a very important sense, American law is a cathedral, right? It carries forward these kind of remnants of the history of law, from the Code of Hammurabi to the Bible, from the Institutes of Justinian, English law, Spanish law, French law, colonial law in the United States, the history of common law in the U.S. and the world's law. All of those strains run through our law. And in a sense, by digitizing that law, by making it more publicly available, we are the stewards of this cathedral. We're making sure that American law will sustain. So I think that's, it's important from a preservation perspective, but that doesn't mean that books are going away or that we don't love books. We love books. Books are wonderful. It's, it's actually a continuing source of conflict in my house between my <laughs> wife and me. My wife is also a bibliophile, and she's a children's book author. And our That's house cool. is just littered with books. There's books everywhere. We're, we actually have like uh, giant piles of books in our living room right now because we're getting ready to build a giant bookcase to hold the next round of books. 
So it's great to be able to take part in both elements of legal publishing, the online publishing from a preservation and ease of use standpoint for mobile use of the law, but then also extending it in print to make sure that we have this kind of new generation of titles that are better than ever. That was beautiful. I'm waiting for your political run. I mean, listen to the soaring (laughs) language. I'm very impressed. But you're the real deal. You're building bookshelves and stuff. This is no joke. You may be waiting for a while for the uh, political <laughs> career. <laughs> I'll hold out. <laughs> so I bought a uh, an autobiography of Mark Twain like a few years back, like a printed one. Mm-hmm. And this is like 1,500 pages long. So I decided to take it on a trip that my wife and I were taking. And the people at the airport security had no idea why someone would bring like a massive book with them on a trip because everybody else had Kindles and stuff like that. So I was searched. <laughs> So let me just say, if you are carrying large books with you, maybe best to leave them at home when you take trips. But I digress. Um, But isn't this how the play Hamilton was written? I don't know. I don't know. know Lin-Manuel Miranda was going on vacation. He had just finished the production of In the Heights, right? And so he and his wife are going on vacation. And he is like in the airport bookstore, right? And he's like, I just need like a big book to take with me on vacation, and he bought Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton. And he's okay. like sitting in the hammock on vacation with this giant tome saying, surely by now somebody has made the musical of this. <laughs> well, wait for they my have- play, Mark Twain. I'm, I'm working <laughs> on it. I just need to gain some musical talent and then I'll be good. So give me some time. Before we get too far afield, and I love this stuff, let's talk about lawyers. I think this is supposed sure. to be a podcast about lawyers. That's what they tell me. Everywhere lawyers are talking about paperless practice and moving towards that. It's kind of like the holy grail for a lot of lawyers. But I think it's still true that like many lawyers still love print as well. I mean, they like to hold paper. Perhaps even I would use the word fondle. They like to fondle paper. So why is it that lawyers in particular love paper so much? I think it's a love-hate relationship. You know, there's (laughs) parts of it that we like. So lawyers love books. I think everyone loves books, by the way. I don't think that's just lawyers. but. I think part of the issue is that the alternatives are so much worse. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of ebooks. I know that there's a lot of people who like them, who like Kindles and things yeah. like that. I, I've never really taken to them, in part because they don't update like an app or something, yeah. uh, but they're not permanent like print. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost the worst of both worlds. We sell them at Fastcase for people who prefer them, but I think you actually see this kind of retrograde motion right now in the balance between print and digital publishing. So for a couple of years, ebooks were the thing. It was the buzz. Everyone was talking about their .mobi or .epub books and their proprietary libraries to read them in. But in the last couple of years, you've seen those kind of fall away. Mm. And in fact, there are a lot of people who study this who say we're now past the peak of ebooks. We're now on the decline as people have become more and more disillusioned with that format. Yeah, and so bookstores think, are making a comeback too, I've heard as well. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. Certainly Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's right. But if you, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Barnes & Noble in their kind of bricks and mortar locations are not doing very well, in part yeah. because of Amazon. Yeah. But there is a resurgence of local bookstores. And certainly here in D.C. in the last couple of years, there have been two or three new independent bookstores opening And the independent bookstores are doing great. And I think part of that is about uh, bookstores as something more than a seller of books. 
bookstores is a gathering place. Bookstores is a place for community. Bookstores is a place for events. And yes, selling books too, but understanding that, you know, Amazon is always going to have a cheaper version of the book delivered pretty fast. So you have to be about more than just the the print book. So I I think that lawyers sort of hate the alternative to print. Mm. On the other hand, if you look at kind of global publishing, the big players in this market, the kind of Thomson Reuters, uh, Reed Elsevier, Walters Kluwer, you know, kind of large scale publishers, print has been a drag. In fact, Mm. they are all losing in print and having to make up for it aggressively online. And Mm. so it's not all a happy story for print. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that creates a little opportunity for publishers like Fastcase. So in the last year, we've started our own imprint called Full Court Press. And we are kind of rushing in to fill the void, in a sense. While traditional publishers and global publishers have been running away from print because it's been such a drag, yeah. at least in our opinion, they're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. You know, there are really good print publications for law. Some must-have publications for law. So you think about like Nimmer on copyright or... Uh, Which Wright I do frequently. Or- <laughs> right. Well, no, if you, if you are, if you're a practitioner in one of those areas of law, you really yes. need to have access yeah. to it. And for some reason, the online version of it is never quite enough. Hmm. And so before we pull back from print altogether, let's just say there are some real leading titles in print. And then there's stuff that is just legacy that, you know, was printed, but maybe isn't super useful anymore. I think yeah. about those like loose leaf services, right? That mm-hmm. Yes. Law libraries have to update all the time, but they're always out of date. That might be better in <laughs> online, right? Yeah. Right. The form books, like where you can yep. pull a form out of the back of the book and then type it up, you know, that might be also better online. Mm. And there's no reason to have that on print. So I would just say, like, maybe instead of throwing out all print, we could just be selective about it and say there are some things that are terrific in print. And let's try to preserve the best of those. And then some things that maybe aren't a very good fit for print. And let's move those online. Well, but it requires a question. re-examination. Oh, totally. And that's the interesting question for me. Like, it seems like you have a strong belief that there's still a place for paper in legal research. But like beyond those substantive traditional like handbooks slash guides that lawyers always rely on, like the big name in a certain practice area, aside from those um, and the traditional archival copies, what do you see as useful in terms of print? Or are you still figuring that out at this point in terms of full core press? Well, I think everyone's figuring it out. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is, I hope is an advantage for Fastcase is that we have 800,000 subscribers, lawyers who are using Fastcase all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. 24-7, 365. If Fastcase goes offline for like five minutes at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> to like apply a software patch or something, there's like a big block of angry emails from three o'clock in the morning. Is that different asked, from most days that you have or no? <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked our developers the other day, how much are people using Fastcase? And they said that Fastcase users are running one million searches a week right now. And so what's important about that is that in the aggregate, we can then see what the trends are. So we can say, hey, you know what? People are really interested right now in immigration. And so we can begin to target the print publications towards what is popular and what's necessary and away from things that, you know, may not be as useful anymore. 
and we can constantly modulate that. So one good example of that is this new journal we, we just started called the Journal of Robotics, Artificial Intelligence, and Law, or the RAIL, R-A-I-L. And this is a, it's a journal that's going to come out six times a year. But we just saw a huge interest evidenced in the search history of FastCase in the aggregate, saying that people were really interested in robotics and AI and algorithmic bias and things like that. Those issues were bubbling up, but there isn't really a print treatise addressing those topics. Mm -hmm. And so what we wanted to do was combine the best of both worlds. We find expert authors and really some of the best minds in the business who write for rail create a beautiful, awesome print journal that is edited by experts in the field, written by some of the leading lights in this. And then just try to make it fun, try to make it interesting, try to cover topics that people genuinely care about. It should be kind of a, a fun read, a challenging read. Uh, and then we publish it in print and then we make it available, searchable in FastCase as well. So when people subscribe to it, they can see it integrated into their search results in FastCase. Uh, but they also have the print volume in their hand if they want to stuff it in their bag and read it on the train or pull it off the shelf when they remember an article later. They have the kind of best of both worlds. By the way, I, I can't remember if I told you this before, but when you subscribe to Rail in print, we have like a, every year you will get some curated whimsy from FastCase, <laughs> something that is cool and interesting and surprising and in your hands. Oh, good. I'm glad we knocked out a whimsy reference on the podcast. We haven't had one of those in a long time. That's, that's a reason to subscribe, if none other. That's right. And you, and you know, Ed, I only send you gentle and thoughtful emails at 3 a.m. Never snarky <laughs> or mean emails. This has been a good discussion, but we're going to take a quick break right now. So slow your rolls, everybody, and listen up, because this is all the stuff that you need to buy. Firm Central cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With Firm Central, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Thanks for coming back. I'm still here, and so is Ed Walters. He's Hello. here to talk about the resistance of paper in the modern world, and Ed runs FastCase. I have thrown on, incidentally, some Harry Potter glasses from my son's Halloween costume, which happened to be lying on my desk because I feel like that's the vibe we're going with today. Um, Expecto Patronus. Yes, yes. I just figured I'd throw that out there. I can't find the wand, though. Um <laughs> Let's dive back into this topic. So one of the reasons that law firms have moved to paperless environments, I think, is for efficiency. Like, that's the big driver here. So how do you think lawyers can justify the use of paper if it theoretically makes them less efficient? Well, I would challenge the premise. Okay. I don't think it makes them less efficient. Hmm. You know, there's uh, different working styles for different people. 
there are definitely digital natives in the world, but I think you'll find that among those digital natives, print is making a comeback. It's mm. like listening to vinyl or something, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's like a hipster contrivance. Now books are <laughs> like a, you know, kind of a retro way of consuming information. It's like someone yes. printed out the internet. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think it does make them less efficient. If it did, uh, I think it would be much less popular. I think it's just a learning style and a preference. Yep. Same question, though. How about costs? Like, I think another reason that law firms reduce the use of paper is they don't want to print stuff. How do they justify the use of paper in terms of the higher cost of using it? Yeah. I, you know, again, I, I sort of feel like uh, where it costs more, just don't do it. But there are places where it's going to be more efficient to have it in paper. So, for example, I mentioned before these form books. This was a thing like 10 years ago, even. If you wanted to buy like a corporate form directory, you would buy a book. And when yes. you wanted to use one of the forms out of it, you would open it up and then type the form in from the book. And that's terrible. By all means, don't use print in that way. <laughs> Go find that form online or something, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's dumb and costly. <laughs> but books, journals, magazines, newspapers, you know, there is something to these in print that people don't get online. It's more ephemeral. They lose it somehow, or they feel like they're going to be double charged for it or triple charged for it. They want to yeah. own the copy and share the copy without further expense. There is a permanence to print. And, you know, at the risk of being too nerdy about it in a copyright sense, you do have that first sale doctrine version of print where once you have it in your possession, no one can take it from you. You can give it to somebody else without being charged again or being accused of reselling it. I like so, it. You're bringing back the IP practice now. You remember all that yes. stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the copyright out of the nerd. Uh, <laughs> or the nerd out of the copyright, I guess. But yeah, so I think that there's a kind of economic case to make for print as well. I think people really like it. So you, sometimes you'll hear people talk about the content versus the container. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to have very good content. It's important to have expert advice. But the container matters too. This is also part of the bibliophile in me. When we design the rail, you know, we care about everything. Like my colleague here at Fastcase, Steve Eric, is, his dad was a typesetter. And so he and I will nerd out about the letting uh, and the kerning of the, of the fonts and the grade of the paper and the, you know, quality of the ink. Like we went through 54 versions of the cover of the rail. Mm. So... I don't know. I feel like there's a there's an art to print publishing that is being lost. People are trying to cut corners wherever they can, make the pages as thin as they can, and go as cheap as possible. And I think we might go the other way with Full Court Press. We might oh. make books that are less common and maybe a little more niche, mm. but are exquisite, that are just beautiful designed objects, the kind of thing that you just cherish, that you love to have you know, that you might hand down with your practice to uh, a nephew or to a child. You know, you might put these into your daughter's law office one day. I love, love, love this idea of books as a designed object that are very you know, thoughtful and careful. Oh, that's cool. So when I was, I was down in your offices uh, about a month ago, are you building out a room to house all these monks? who are going to design these books or is it just going to be like, are you going with another method? Um, in all seriousness though, I, I kind of like the way you're approaching this because you're trying to fit print into places where it fits in the modern world, but you're not talking about putting square pegs into round holes. So I think that's great. 
So this this idea of like books being fancy, for lack of a better description, you described it much better than I could have. Aside from substantive practice, then like, are there ways where lawyers could use paper in their law practices that might be viable? Like, does it make a difference, for example, to receive marketing materials for your attorney that are on, say, vellum or something? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe not to that level. (laughs) But is there still that customer service aspect of it that's in play? And are there any other places where lawyers are using paper that is not necessarily just related to the substantive practice of law? Well, I'm sure that there are. I mean, I, I think that there is a tangible quality to legal services as well. So if if the only thing that you're giving to clients is like a delivered by email or something, I feel like they might feel a little shortchanged. They might not value it quite as much as they would if you put it in print. So you see a lot of law firms who do marketing by publishing books. So like uh, Littler, the big labor and employment firm, has all this expertise about labor and employment in each state. And then they'll come out with annually like a a book that says, here is the guide to Massachusetts labor law. And it is the Littler guide. Would that be the same thing if it were a web page or something? I don't think so. I think they want it sitting on the desk as a tangible reminder of their expertise, something you can put your hands on and touch, literally like feel the quality of their work. And whenever you have that question, you lean back in your chair and grab that book off the bookshelf instead of turning on your computer, opening a browser, trying to remember the web address, you know, fumbling around, doing a Google search, looking through a bunch of ads, finding the site, going to the part of it. You know, they just want to grab the book. So I, I think that there is a, there's really something to that kind of tangible, deliverable of a book that law firms can use for marketing in a very compelling way. It just makes me think of... Um... I'm in Boston, so there's a book made out of human skin in one of the museums here. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> yes, I have I heard have. of it. It sounds disgusting. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, my son has just busted and I'm gonna stop for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opening pretzels. <laughs> Talk about skin books. Say hello yeah, and that's go. That's right. Hello. <laughs> All right, go Goodbye. ahead. Hello. Get out. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? This is my life. <laughs> So, Ed, do you know there's a book made out of human skin in Boston? Have you heard of this? I mean, I've always heard publishers wanting to have skin in the game, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> you should look this up. And for folks who want to know, there's this guy named James Allen, who was a notorious highwayman or robber back in, like, I think the 1800s. And when he died, he commissioned that a book be made of his own skin. And he wrote his autobiography in a book made of his skin. So that is my digression. So vellum, <laughs> human skin. Make your book a fanciful object. I'm not sure how to transition out of that, but let me just say this. We're going to take a break and come back. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Okay, I found my keys. Thanks for coming back. (laughs) How's your avocado ice cream? I'm just kidding. It's avocado toast. Toast? 
Is it? All right. That's that's Tom, not me. Uh, let's re-engage then with Ed Walters. We're in our last segment now, and we're talking about paper and modernity. So right now, Ed, like paper is still pretty accessible. Like I, I can still walk into a Barnes and Noble that's like five miles from my house. But what about the future? Like in a world where there are going to be driverless cars, for example, do you think there's still going to be a place for paper, or is it going to continue to be pushed out? Well, I think there's always going to be a place for paper, but I think we are really in a, a kind of a reckoning phase right now. We have thoughtlessly used paper for maybe the last century and yeah. in some places where we didn't really need to. And then, you know, in a time of the Internet, people have really begun to question that. For example, law firms might say, hey, I'm not sure that I need the Northeastern reporter on my shelf. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is not the highest and best way to access judicial opinions, maybe fast cases. On the other hand, you know, there's all kinds of things that are being pushed into digital format, like maybe EPUBs or Mobis that don't belong there. That yeah. would be better as a web page or as a print book, possibly both. Mm. And so, you know, one thing I think you'll see a lot more of is a re-examination of when things belong in print and when they don't, it's certainly much more expensive. And we'll just see things that have been in print in the past, people choose not to have there. And those titles will go out of print. And then certain other things people will love to have in print. It will be a delight. And mm-hmm. those things will be very popular. But you have to be thoughtful about which is which. You know, at Fastcase, one thing we're trying to do with Full Court Press is sometimes it's called the COPE method. You create once, publish everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. we can work with some of the best experts and best authors in the business and have them work on the next generation of Nimron copyright or Collier's on bankruptcy and have them create the next generation of expert treatises and then, you know, figure out where they belong. Do they belong online? Do they belong in an ebook format? Do they belong in print? Do they belong in all the above? And we'll, you know, we'll work very carefully to figure those out, but not in a knee-jerk way. It's not automatically all three or automatically any one of them. We're going to be very careful and think through what belongs in what format. That's smart. I like that. Uh, So you're building the bullpen, potentially, of new experts. I don't think anybody else thinks of it that way, so that's really cool. Um, So when folks are, like, sitting in their driveless cars reading a paper book, like, I don't know, five years from now, just remember we had this conversation way back when. (laughs) I know you said you like to nerd out on paper books, so what's your favorite font and type size? And then um, define kerning for me because I have no idea what that is. <laughs> well, uh, I go through phases. If you must know right now, I'm going through an Optima phase for <laughs> publication. You'll see a lot of Optima in fast case stuff. It's a nice sans serif font. It's modern. Yeah. It looks really clean in paragraphs. It's very easy to read. Mm-hmm. For headings, I, I sort of like Helvetica Noia. It's a... Um, kind of a flat, modern font. It is not as kind of cliched as Helvetica has become, mm-hmm. yep. but it evokes it a little bit. So it's it's a nice header font. You'll see that in some fast case publications and stuff as well. You're not a Comic um, Sans guy? <laughs> or Papyrus. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, well, I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good stuff. Uh, so what is kerning? Really? I, I have no idea what that is. I want to know, and I don't want to look it up. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's actually, um, you would recognize it right away. So kerning is, it describes the space between letters in a word. Mm. And so okay. sometimes you'll see like when something is set to full justification, the last line in a paragraph has only like four words, but they're stretched to fill the entire width of the column. You know, the letters are really far apart from each other or the words are really far apart from each other. That's kerning. And then letting is the amount of space between two lines in a paragraph or two oh, paragraphs cool. in a thing. It, it describes like they used to actually use pieces of lead. Um, oh, interesting. When they would do typesetting, they would put a piece of lead in between each line to space them out. And the, you know, the thickness of the lead would determine how far apart the lines are in the paragraph. Typesetters would have like these rows and rows and rows of lead that get put between lines of type to determine what the book would look like. And we still, we still maintain these kind of names for them anachronistically in uh, kind of modern typesetting. I don't know if this is going to come off as a compliment or not, but you know more about this stuff than anyone else I know. <laughs> well, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I used to work in uh, newspapers when I was in college. I was the editor of my oh, college paper. I see. And it was before kind of modern typesetting. And so we had to do a lot of kerning and letting by hand. We would actually yeah. print out the entire newspaper in one single column, you know, and then you would wax the back of that piece of paper and cut it. And then you would lay it out on a big dummy page, you know, like literally line by line. And you have to watch the kerning and the letting and all that stuff. And then a, a, a printer would actually photograph the page and print it. I can imagine the scene like you rolling back into your college dormitory, lead on your fingers. Your roommate's like, tough day, Ed. You're like, it's always a tough day at the newspaper. <laughs> You know, it was uh, I actually parlayed that into a job at the Washington Post where they, oh, they really? were just making the transition from that mode of layout to uh, typesetting digitally. And it was a whole floor of the Washington Post in the old building. The typesetting floor was right next to the giant printing press, which the, in those days was still in the building. And because of that, it was extremely loud. And so all of the guys who were in typesetting uh, were hired from Gallaudet. They were all deaf. Oh, interesting. And so everyone on the floor, they were all expert typesetters, but they were all deaf because they couldn't have their hearing damaged by the printing press that was mm. screaming beneath their feet. Oh, that's uh, great. So it was, it was a fascinating experience. This has been like one of the more wide-ranging podcasts I've done. I'm kind of <laughs> sad that it's over, actually. And um, that will do it for this episode of the Legal Toolkit. It was Ed Walters. And we were talking all about paper. Man loves him some paper. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. But if you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks to Ed Walters for appearing on today's show. He's the CEO of FastCase. So Ed, one of the things we talked about a little bit during the show is Full Court Press, which is your new publishing arm at FastCase. Now, can you tell folks a little bit more about that, how they can find out information on that, um, including potentially bar associations who may want to come involved? Awesome. Well, you can find out more information at fastcase.com. For Full Court Press, uh, I think you'll find it on our homepage. You can also find more information about the Journal of Robotics, Artificial Intelligence, and Law at fastcase.com forward slash rail. Check those things out. Great new project that Ed is working on, but he's always doing fascinating things at Fastcase. So thanks again. Ed, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jared. That was Ed Walters again, CEO of FastCase. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Talk to you next time. 
Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. I just wanted to say this was a fantastic episode. Oh, Lord, come on. How long were you sitting on that? Uh, just about 30 <laughs> seconds. Did you write that down like an hour ago? I should have. I should have. <laughs> oh, nice, yeah. man. I like it. We're going to have to do this again. <laughs> Seriously. Awesome. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.